0: And welcome to the Lazy Book Club Podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez.
1: Seasons greetings, one <laughs> and all. It's David Cox.
2: And I'm Josh Matheson. I feel like was that a ghost of Christmas
0: present kind of channeling ahead of the chapter today?
1: Yeah, Jolly Jolly Couture. Jolly Couture. <laughs> Problem is, I did that. I did that with a bit of an embellishment with my arm. Maybe in the future we'll find a way to like video it as well. But I'm I'm sure that we can't be bothered to do that at this point in time. Yeah, that's not
0: (laughs) one. That's not lazy. Two. Nobody wants to see how terrible we look when we record this. Generally, (laughs) (laughs) just that's true. All in our pajamas. (laughs)
2: I'm. I'm not really sure. I want everyone to see how ridiculous I look when I'm doing some of these voices either.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Lots of.
2: So this week we are looking
0: at stave three of A Christmas Carol. Last week we delved into Ebenezer Scrooge's past. We found out that he's from a quite unhappy home. His dad didn't seem to like him very much and seemed to keep him at school. And then we saw him through his apprentice life where he actually had quite a good male role model for Christmases and generosity. And Fezziwig, who used to throw these lavish parties and was very welcoming and was very hospitable to everybody in the town. But then somewhere around his what early 20s when he was engaged, this kind of money obsession took hold and we saw the gradual decline of Scrooge into greed and being very covetous and material-focused... Rather than letting the love in,
1: shut out, shut out uh, a lovely lady as well, which was a shame.
0: Yeah, good old moaning myrtle. Yeah, was her name <laughs> Bell, wasn't it? Bell, Bell was yeah. her name. Yes.
2: No, so I, d- I did have a thought when I was listening when I was listening to this episode after it aired that all of the memories that the spirit sort of took Scrooge to were of his own personal timeline, his own personal history, apart from that last one. Yeah. And I thought it was just quite interesting that that, that, that sort of, that, that that journey that the spirit took him on ended with something that was like, and here's what you could have won. yeah, Kind of a thing. Yeah, It's quite, it's quite interesting that it was on. like, this is you, you remember this bit, you remember this bit, you remember this bit, but then here, here's the prize that, yeah, that you missed. Mm. So Oh, and
0: what what you're actually seeing is what those people think of you as well, because it's like, oh, yeah. you never believe who I just saw slaving away as usual, doesn't have any fun. That like Ebenezer Scrooge, you could have been stuck with him. That would have been Can barrel for the last. See
1: people talking about you though.
0: Oh, I know. What would you reckon people would be
2: saying? <laughs> I, don't want... I don't know. <laughs> just
1: stu- stupid
2: jokes. Is such a the <laughs> Musical genius, but terrible jokes. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that'll be on my gravestone. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Here lieth Ebenezer.
0: So, we just dive straight in with this one. I'm quite looking forward to the so. Jolly I'm Giant.
2: Yeah, stave three the second of the three spirits. Awaking in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge had no occasion to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. He felt that he was restored to consciousness in the right nick of time, for the especial purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention. But... Finding that he turned uncomfortably cold when he began to wonder which of his curtains this new spectre would draw back, he put them every one aside with his own hands, and lying down again, established a sharp lookout all round the bed, for he wished to challenge the spirit on the moment of its appearance, and did not wish to be taken by surprise and made nervous.
0: I'm imagining him like a Bond villain just gonna sit in there going I've been expecting you Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost
2: oh, no, I can imagine Scrooge I can imagine Scrooge doing like a little sort of Mission Impossible role across his bedroom law. like are you there just, who's there
0: yeah. and that person <laughs> oh, no. he's and set like um, Macaulay Culkin Home Alone traps around yeah. <laughs> around the bedroom that's it <laughs> there's micro <laughs> yeah. machines around the bed and a couple of there's tin paint, a, a tin of paint, of paint above
1: the, the door <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should de- that would be such a good film
2: like <laughs> combine home the alone two. christmas carol
1: scrooge doesn't learn anything because he just murks all the ghosts
2: <laughs> gentlemen of the free and easy sort who plume themselves on being acquainted with a move or two and being usually equal to the time of day express the wide range of their capacity for adventure by observing that they are good for anything from pitch-and-toss to manslaughter, between which opposite extremes, no doubt, there lies a tolerably wide and comprehensive range of subjects. Without venturing for Scrooge quite as hardily as this, I don't mind calling on you to believe that he was ready for a good broad field of strange appearances, and that nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing. And, consequently, when the bell struck one, and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, a quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. All this time he lay upon his bed, the very core and centre of a blaze of ruddy light, which streamed upon it when the clock proclaimed the hour, and which, being only light, was more alarming than a dozen ghosts, as he was powerless to make out what it meant, or would be at, and was sometimes apprehensive that he might be at that very moment an interesting case of spontaneous combustion, without having the consolation of knowing it. At last, however, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always the person not in the predicament who knows what ought to have been done in it, and would unquestionably have done it too. At last, I say, he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, from whence on further tracing it, it seemed to shine. This idea, taking full possession of his mind, he got up, softly, and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name and bade him enter.
1: Where have you been? He's <laughs> been waiting there for like yeah. two hours.
0: He got the wrong room.
2: Is that Goodness
1: moment
0: where two people are trying to be
2: polite
1: <laughs> and
0: they're both waiting for each other to come to them?
2: He obeyed. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe and ivy backed the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there. And such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that dull petrifaction of the hearth had never known in Scrooge's time or Marlies, or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped up on the floor, to form a kind of throne, were turkeys, geese, Game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes and seething balls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. Mm -hmm. In easy state upon this couch there sat a jolly giant glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch, in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door.
0: Would you call it a couch? I'd call that like a landfill. <laughs> it was just like a mound of just <laughs> a heap. Okay. huge, <laughs> yeah. I mean the smell. Wouldn't you just be like, if you were screwed, you'd just be like, "I'll get to you in a second. Why not? I'd actually, it might be like ghost food. So, it might be,
1: <laughs> you could have a full five-course meal, and it puts on no calories.
2: Yeah, I have to say that I can't not read uh, a Dickensian passage like this and not be reminded of Oliver Twist as well. Mm. Just that idea of that food, glorious food, and and I remember sort of watching the. I mean, I grew up with the musical adaptation of the film, and just that scene of all the boys going past, and and it's all of the whatever it is—the board members or the you know the, the the rich people in the in the in the workhouse that get mm. all this lovely food, and those boys are all sniffing up the steam and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So it's clearly like a a feature, I guess, of Dickens' writing that he really wants to kind of bring out. You know that that kind of I can almost taste it. Kind of description yeah. with food. You know, the,
0: the Victorians were quite extravagant with their food, though. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. like the upper classes. It was it was entertainment. It was this dining. You know, dinner parties and stuff. There wasn't TV, and you know, the jelly was the entertainment for the. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> yeah, it was.
1: Literally, Watch like, it go! Oh my god, looking
0: at it wobble. Like
1: I saw a red one last week.
2: No way. <laughs>
0: It was There was an aesthetic to food as well, wasn't
1: yes. there? It? it was
2: about the way it was presented, the mounds of stuff, you know.
0: It was all very over the top and all very ostentatious yeah. and that was part of it. It was all meant Absolutely. to be this kind of showing this grandeur. But what I quite liked about the way that Dickens has introduced this second ghost is obviously knowing the story, you know that the ghost of Christmas present is meant to be this ghost of generosity and sharing and jolliness and people coming together and community and i like the fact that rather than the ghost going to him he's welcomed to the ghost sure. and it's kind of even the way that scrooge encounters the ghost personifies the ghost yeah Do you know what I mean? because he comes to the door and he goes oh come in join me he's he's baiting him in rather than turning up and ripping his curtains open and going oi we're gonna go and show you where it all went wrong. Come on. <laughs> it's kind of very yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. Come come and come and sit with me and feast with me and you know, look at this amazing food with me. I mean, I've just come from um Columbia Road. All of that stuff hanging from the ceilings, the the berries and the leaves would cost an absolute fortune.
1: <laughs> the ghost's had quite a budget for this horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's got deep pockets.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Little did they know they had to use his kitchen. and It's an absolute tip. <laughs> <laughs>
2: They've not done the washing up, have they?
1: <laughs> that's that's to be found in the Ghost of Christmas Future. It just goes, Look, yeah. hey, scrubbing. All the we made, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then the ghost disappeared. He's like, ah, why are
1: you on Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Scrooge has popped his head round the door and uh, this is the first time that we that we hear the voice oh. of
0: the ghost. It's gotta be a big voice, isn't
2: it? It's gotta be <laughs> Yeah, I'm
0: I'm thinking because I think he's meant to almost be this Santa Clausy kind of thing. So I'm
2: thinking In a lot of adaptations, he gets sort of, yeah. Santa Claus,
0: Hagrid, or just the good old Brian Blessed. It's gotta be something like that. It's gotta be something really big, really hearty, really chesty.
1: Can I request that his laugh is... Yes.
0: Can we go for Hagrid? Because he has a bit of a regional vibe, whereas Brian Blessed's just kind of Shakespearean. Yeah. Yes. yes.
2: And, like, and, and and also that that just that little bit of regionality also distinguishes him from Fezziwig. And I think they are yes. similar in their character, but they need to be.
0: Yes, they need to be different. And, uh, and the laugh will separate him as well. If we kind of yeah. make it that like at the end of each paragraph or the end of each, not at the end of every line, but the end of each bit of him talking, there's a little chuckle. Yeah.
2: Come in, exclaimed the ghost. Oh! <laughs> Come in And know me better, man Scrooge entered timidly And hung his head before the spirit He was not the dogged Scrooge he had been And though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind He did not like to meet them I am the ghost of Christmas present Said the spirit Look upon me (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's got a smoker's cough
1: Slightly,
2: yeah
0: Too I much just, pipe smoke I, I just enjoy Just like, like Look, check me out That's basically What he just said In Dick, Dickens language I'm going to go To Christmas present Check me out Look at my turkeys <laughs> Look at my punch bowls Look at my swag
2: <laughs> Scrooge reverently did so It was clothed In one simple Deep green robe Or mantle Bordered with white fur, this garment hung so loosely on the figure that its capacious breast was bare.
0: <laughs> he's wearing like some like he's wearing like, like, like a gown with nothing yeah. underneath. That's it. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's flashing a bit of thigh. He's just yeah. flashing a bit of leg,
2: <laughs> as if disdaining to be warded or concealed by any artifice. Its feet observable beneath the ample folds of the garment, were also bare, and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath, sat here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unconstrained demeanour and its joyful air. Girded round its middle was an antique scabbard, but no sword was in it, and the ancient sheath was eaten up with rust. "'You have never seen the like of me before!' exclaimed the spirit. "'Never!' Scrooge made answer to it. "'Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young, my elder brothers born in these later years!' pursued the phantom. ''I don't think I have,'' said Scrooge. ''I'm afraid I have not. ''Have you had many brothers, Spirit?'' ''More than eighteen hundred,'' said the ghost. ''A tremendous family to provide for,'' muttered Scrooge. ''The ghost of Christmas present rose.'' ''Spirit,'' said Scrooge, submissively, ''conduct me where you will.'' I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have ought to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe, Scrooge did as he was told, and held it fast. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, meat, pigs, sausages, oysters, pies, puddings, fruit and punch all vanished instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of night, and they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning, where, for the weather was severe, the people made a rough but brisk and not unpleasant kind of music, in scraping the snow from the pavement in front of their dwellings, and from the tops of their houses, "'whence it was mad delight to the boys "'to see it come plumping down into the road below "'and splitting into artificial little snowstorms. "'The house-fronts looked black enough "'and the windows blacker, "'contrasting with the smooth white sheet of snow upon the roofs "'and with the dirtier snow upon the ground, "'which last deposit had been ploughed up in deep furrows "'by the heavy wheels of carts and wagons.' furrows that crossed and recrossed each other hundreds of times where the great streets branched off and made intricate channels hard to trace in the thick yellow mud and icy water the sky was gloomy and the shortest streets were choked up with a dingy mist half thawed half frozen whose heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms, as if all the chimneys in Great Britain had, by one consent, caught fire and were blazing away to their dear heart's content. There was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet there was an air of cheerfulness abroad that the cleverest summer air and brightest summer sun might have endeavoured to diffuse in vain. For the people who were shoveling away on the housetops were jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another from the parapets, and now and then exchanging a facetious snowball, better-natured missile far than many a wordy jest, laughing heartily if it went right, and not less heartily if it went wrong. The poulterers' shops were still half open, and the fruiterers were radiant in their glory. There were great, round, pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts, shaped like the waistcoats of jolly old gentlemen, lolling at the doors and tumbling out into the street in their apoplectic opulence. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish onions, shining in the fatness of their growth like Spanish friars and winking from their shelves in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples clustered high in blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made in the shopkeeper's benevolence to dangle from conspicuous hooks that people's mouths might water gratis if they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks among the woods, and pleasant shufflings ankle-deep through withered leaves. There were Norfolk biffins, squab and swarthy, setting off the yellow of the oranges and lemons, and in the great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten after dinner. The very gold and silver fish set forth among these choice fruits in a bowl, "'though members of a dull and stagnant-blooded race "'appeared to know that there was something going on, "'and, to a fish, went gasping round and round "'their little world in slow and passionless excitement. "'The grocers, oh, the grocers nearly closed, "'with perhaps two shutters down or one, "'but through those gaps such glimpses. "'It was not alone that the scales descending on the counter "'made a merry sound.' Or that the twine and roller parted company so briskly. Or that the canisters were rattled up and down like juggling tricks. Or even that the blended scents of tea and coffee were so grateful to the nose... Or even that the raisins were so plentiful and rare, the almonds so extremely white, the sticks of cinnamon so long and straight, the other spices so delicious, the candied fruits so caked and spotted with molten sugar as to make the coldest onlookers feel faint and subsequently bilious. Nor was it that the figs were moist and pulpy, or that the French plums blushed in modest tartness from their highly decorated boxes, or that everything was good to eat and in its Christmas dress. But the customers were all so hurried and so eager in a hopeful promise of the day that they tumbled up against each other at the door crashing their wicker baskets wildly and left their purchases upon the counter and came running back to fetch them and committed hundreds of the like mistakes in the best humour possible, while the grocer and his people were so frank and fresh that the polished hearts with which they fastened their aprons behind might have been their own, worn outside for general inspection and for Christmas doors to peck at if they chose. But soon the steeples called good people all to church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their gayest faces, and at the same time there emerged from scores of by-streets, lanes and nameless turnings innumerable people, carrying their dinners to the baker's shops. The sight of these poor revellers appeared to interest the spirit so very much for he stood with Scrooge beside him in a baker's doorway, and taking off the covers as their bearers passed, sprinkled incense on their dinners from his torch. And it was a very uncommon kind of torch, for once or twice, when there were angry words between some dinner carriers who had jostled each other, he shed a few drops of water on them from it, and their good humour was restored directly. For they said it was a shame to quarrel upon Christmas Day, And so it was, God love it, so it was. In time, the bells ceased, and the bakers were shut up. And yet there was a genial shadowing forth of all these dinners, and the progress of their cooking, in the thawed blotch of wet above each baker's oven, where the pavement smoked as if its stones were cooking too. We've said
0: before about how Dickens has been given this mantle of, like, the man who invented Christmas... And you listen to that and it's just, it's Christmas, isn't it? It's yeah, just right? the busy shops, the, it's the like, food. This is, what it, this is what Christmas is. This is 101. If you yeah. ain't doing this, you ain't doing it right. Yeah.
1: one 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 thing missing, I noticed. What's that? No booze. No booze. Oh, yeah. At no, it's true. He hasn't all. mentioned that. Mm. No wine, no gin, no beer.
2: No, uh, the, the, I'm not saying it's the be all and end all, but it is a
1: formative part.
2: <laughs> well, they had the they had the mulled port, didn't they? At the um, that's true. At the at true. the Fezziwigs ball. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, none, nothing in this one. I guess it's no. much more wholesome than that.
1: Maybe that's after church because you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> he mentioned fruit punch, which I suppose it's morning. That. It's supposed
2: to be morning, isn't it? So
0: yeah, oh, that's true. Uh, but I loved the, the 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 nature imagery as well. And that's something that definitely turns your head towards Christmas in this season. It's like the the dry, very cold days where you can go and walk in the park or walk in the forest and it's crisp and you just yeah. it's so nice. So hearing all the imagery about you know nature and all the pears and the apples and all that kind of stuff it does definitely kind of makes you feel very wintry and very christmassy
2: i tell you what i could i could visualize so vividly the description of um, mm. all of the the, the cart wheel yes. in the in the in the sludge and the like the half frozen that kind of sludgy it's it's, it's defrosted but then frozen again and yeah. all the interweaving tracks of all the wheels i can see that so vividly in my mind
0: yeah the language was stunning in that yeah that whole wow. passage and you can just see and it's just so charming as well you're listening to it and it it does just kind of warm the heart yeah as well as just make you hungry because i was hearing all that food being described <laughs> i'm like oh dang it <laughs> it's like it's the first time like normally
1: uh in any any previous podcast and previous series i normally don't have any sort of reservations about going like no i'm gonna I'm, i i have something to say but in that instance there i was i was like i dare not interrupt yes. even if i think of something because i the audacity of doing that i know um, it was such you know. good
0: prose it was like just, just leave it just leave it i
1: think josh would have some of those sentences again i think josh probably would <laughs> kill me i'd have
2: been like no you to yeah. take me back to the beginning some <laughs> yeah. of
0: the detail was hilarious though it was like the spanish onions like we've been yeah, yeah like, it was what? like like men
1: was <laughs> well, so it's like they were comparing the spanish onions to like fat vickers fat fryers, yeah. fat fryers at, at, at other stuff. vegetables
0: <laughs> i'm like I don't see that. (laughs) I think maybe they're not in a net. Dinkins has quite an amazing imagination, and now you can see why it wasn't such a stretch for the Muppets to have singing fruit and veg. (laughs) (laughs) True, their version of it.
1: (laughs) It's completely appropriate. Um, One other thing I noticed it was I really liked the fact that he reminded everyone that it's like it's still a really like it's despite the fact it's depressing weather. Like yes, if I look outside at the moment now, it's just that it's middle of the afternoon, but it's just grey not i uh, you know i haven't seen the sun in about a week mm. but generally quite optimistic it's yeah funny, isn't it
0: yeah but i mean i've been out all day and it's been a bit drizzly but the the that nice warm feeling you feel when you come home and you got the christmas tree lights on and you put some Christmas music on and you heat up some, some old wine or a hot chocolate or something. And it, it is, it does just, does just put you in that mood, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's the thing. So even though the weather's kind of gloomy outside, it's kind of a positive because it just makes you so happy to be inside. <laughs>
1: That's it. It's why we need it in a way. Cause otherwise yeah. you just have this, you know, everyone talks about January and February being pretty, pretty depressed. Yeah. All that sort of thing. It would be so compounded if you literally went from like October and then there was just nothing. Yes,
0: until January, and yeah, nothing yeah, to build yeah. up to. You know, nothing to. Sort it's of true. Up. You need this <laughs> festival to kind of keep you sane. You really do, do you <laughs> like this?
1: particularly in 2020. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Is there a particular flavour in which you sprinkle from your torch? Asked Scrooge. There is my own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? Asked Scrooge. "'to any kindly given, to a poor one most.' "'Why to a poor one most?' asked Scrooge. "'Because it needs it most.' "'Spirit,' said Scrooge, after a moment's thought, "'I wonder you, of all the beings in the many worlds about us, "'should desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment?' "'I?' cried the spirit. "'you would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, "'often the only day on which they can be said to dine at all,' said Scrooge. "'Wouldn't you?' "'I!' cried the spirit. "'You seek to close these places on the seventh day,' said Scrooge, "'and it comes to the same thing.' "'I seek!' exclaimed the spirit. "'Forgive me if I'm wrong.' It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who lay claim to know us and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us and all our kith and kin as if they never lived remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Scrooge promised that he would, and they went on, invisible as they had been before, into the suburbs of the town. It was a remarkable quality of the ghost, which Scrooge had observed at the bakers, that notwithstanding his gigantic size, he could accommodate himself to any place with ease and that he stood beneath a low roof quite as gracefully and like a supernatural creature as it would be possible he could have done in any lofty hall. And perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power of his, or else it was his own kind, generous, hearty nature, and his sympathy with all poor men, that led him straight to Scrooge's clerks. For there he went, and took Scrooge with him, holding to his robe And, on the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinklings of his torch. Think of that. Bob had but fifteen bob a week to himself. He pocketed on Saturdays but fifteen copies of his Christian name and yet the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house. Then up rose Mrs Cratchit. Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap, and made a goodly show for sixpence, and she laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, also brave in ribbons, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into a saucepan of potatoes, and getting the corners of his monstrous shirt-collar, Bob's private property conferred upon his son and heir in honour of the day into his mouth, rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired, and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable parks. And now two smaller cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the baker's they had smelt the goose – and known it for their own, and basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion, these young Cratchits danced about the table, and exalted Master Peter Cratchit to the skies, while he, not proud, although his collars nearly choked him, blew the fire, until the slow potatoes, bubbling up, knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled. It's at this point in the story that Mrs Cratchit... Has something mm. to say. Bob Cratchit was East End. You said you're just going to make him a bit thick
0: and a bit East End. So it depends on whether we do what we did with the Darlings and kind of make the whole family with the same.
1: Just a bit more high pitch like that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yes, I can. I can certainly give that a whirl. I quite like the sound. I don't know if you're familiar with it. That, that the sound of the sort of the very old school Cockney. That it's got sort of a. A very sort of clipped nature to it. Um, yeah, That's quite, that's Corporate. quite fun. Okay, great. I like the sound of that. What has ever got your precious father then? Said Mrs. Cratchit. And your brother Tiny Tim and Martha weren't as late as Christmas Day by half an hour. The Cratchit kids. Should we just give them all the same vibe? Because the, the kids start interjecting here. Can we make them?
0: I I know we did the voice in
2: the Phenomenal sing song,
0: Hero. but I really enjoyed da, the Bratty. Yeah, da, da, da. I really he enjoyed hated the Bratty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but can Tiny Tim can be different Pinocchio
3: <laughs> oh. Okay,
2: I'll, I'll go for the whiny But I'll make it slightly more of a, a cockney whiny
3: Is Martha, mother?
2: Said a girl, appearing as she spoke
3: Is Martha, mother?
2: Cried the two young Cratchits
3: Hurrah! They's such a goose, Martha
2: <laughs>
3: Why, bless your heart alive, my dear How late you are
2: Said Mrs Cratchit kissing her a dozen times and taking off her shawl and bonnet for her with officious zeal.
3: We'd a deal o' work to finish up last night,
2: replied the girl,
3: and had to clear away this morning, mother. Well, never mind, so long as you are come, said Mrs Cratchit. Sit you down by the fire, my dear, and have a warm, Lord bless ye. No, no, there's father coming,
2: cried the two young Cratchits who were everywhere at once.
3: Hide, Martha, hide!
2: So Martha hid herself, and in came little Bob, the father, with at least three feet of comforter, exclusive of the fringe, hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes, darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch, and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. An iron frame. I guess I've like never seen Zimmer. that before. I've
0: always seen him with the, the, the crutch under the, the shoulder. Is that like a Zimmer frame? It must be like a, a little Zimmer. Frame. But I'm yeah. imagining like Forrest Gump legs. Oh, yeah, like a page like like a a Braces, leg braces. Isn't that what they call leg them? Leg braces,
2: yeah. They used like, to mm. screw them in, didn't they? To the yeah, bone. but uh,
0: can you imagine the terrible technology of the Victorians? It, like, oh,
2: yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Being a, it's going to be just like a fire poker strapped to his leg, isn't it?
1: something yeah. thrown out of a factory yeah like, they just love anything that's like metal or machinery
0: instead of like yeah let's i'm also imagining like it's... steampunk like it's steam powered or something i don't know yeah. why <laughs> <laughs> it's got cogs down here and it's like like the wild wild west guy in the wheelchair yeah everything else like, was just a little leather flume kind of like pumping smoke out the back
1: was tiny tim in mad max <laughs> 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 there's all the cars going along and he's just at the back like <laughs>
3: "'Why, where's our Martha?' cried Bob
2: Cratchit, looking round. "'Not coming,' said Mrs Cratchit. "'Not coming,' said Bob, with a sudden declension in his high spirits, for he had been Tom's blood horse all the way from church and had come home rampant. "'Not coming upon Christmas Day!' Martha didn't like to see him disappointed, if it were only in joke, "'So she came out prematurely from behind the closet door "'and ran into his arms "'while the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim "'and bore him off into the wash-house "'that he might wear the pudding singing in the... "'No. "'And bore him off into the washhouse, "'that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper.'
0: I, w- I enjoyed wear the pudding more, to be honest. <laughs> yes,
2: oh. wear the pudding.
0: Wear a napkin.
1: <laughs>
2: Typical older siblings. Let's make Tim wear the pudding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then set it alight.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and how did little Tim behave? Asked Mrs Cratchit when she had rallied Bob on his credulity and Bob had hugged his daughter to his heart's content. As good as gold, said Bob, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that Tiny Tim was growing strong and hearty. His active little crutch was heard upon the floor, and back came Tiny Tim before another word was spoken, escorted by his brother and sister to his stool by the fire, and while Bob, turning up his cuffs, as if poor fellow who were capable of being made more shabby, compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons and stirred it round and round and put it on the hob to simmer, Master Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds, a feathered phenomenon, to which a black swan was a matter of course. And in truth, it was something very like it in that house. Mrs Cratchit made the gravy, ready beforehand in a little saucepan, hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigour. Miss Belinda sweetened up the apple sauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table, And the two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and mounting guard upon their posts, crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last the dishes were set on, and grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause, as Mrs Cratchit, looking slowly along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it into the breast, But when she did, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose all round the board, and even Tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried hurrah. There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there was ever such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavour, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. They must not have an oven,
0: and that's why the goose was cooked by the baker.
2: Yeah, well, it would be, yeah, they would have just pick it up directly from the butcher, yeah. Yeah. That'd be convenient yeah.
1: service, wouldn't it? Let's mm. get someone else to cook it invariably better. So.
2: I did enjoy
0: that everything Tiny Tim does is tiny. Tiny Tim in a tiny corner of the tiny <laughs> it's like It's like Goldilocks, tiny... isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that what's going to happen? Like, they're all they're all going to go out for a walk and then, and some little girl's going to come and rob them. <laughs> yeah. Tiny
0: Tim's just like, guys, come on. Like, I need a bigger spoon than this. This is for, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. a Barbie. <laughs> so he's just like, oh, shut up, Tiny Tim. You're so cute. <laughs> I like, don't have a tiny appetite. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family, Indeed, as Mrs. Cratchit said with great delight, surveying one small atom of a bone upon the dish, they hadn't ate it all at last. Yet every one had had enough, and the youngest Cratchits, in particular, were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. But now the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witnesses to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough Suppose it should break in turning out Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it While they were merry with the goose (laughs) A supposition at which the two young Cratchits became livid All sorts of horrors were supposed Hello, a great deal of steam The pudding was out of the copper A smell like a washing day That was the cloth a smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other, with a lawn next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly, with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartan of ignited brandy, and bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding! Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs Cratchit since their marriage. Not the kids.
0: This is your greatest achievement <laughs> since you married me.
2: <laughs> Not everyone else sitting around the table. It's a pudding, dude. Yeah, like, yeah come along. It's just a fruit Thank pudding.
0: you for, like, reducing my existence to a cake. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do love the fact that, he's, that Dickens has encapsulated my stress every time I cook a cake, that it's going to come out and be terrible.
0: Oh, yeah, no, it's true. That watching
2: watching through the glass, like, it's every like, second. Is it, is it done enough? Yeah. What if it sinks? Uh. Every time. Mrs Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind, she would confess she had her doubts about the quality of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought that it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect, apples and oranges were put on the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth in what Bob Cratchit called a circle, meaning half of one, and at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle
0: <laughs> oh it's like the family glasses just it's so suitable, cute random i know it is but i just it what, what's cute about it is how proud they are yeah of it. Like, i know clearly they're very proud because dickens is mentioning like this family has glassware like right right <clears throat> And we have no way of conceiving that because we have Ikea and we have, like, <laughs> glasses that are so cheap now yeah. that you just don't even consider that, you know, probably metal or tin cups, I'm assuming, would have been the Maybe standard. Even, like wooden bowls and yeah,
1: stuff.
2: A wooden, yeah, rather than glassware, yeah. These held the hot stuff from the jug, however, as well as golden goblets would have done. And Bob served it out with beaming looks While the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily Then Bob proposed A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears, God bless us Which all the family re-echoed And then Tiny Tim says something He has to have a falsetto voice Uh
0: Okay. Make him East End, but he has to have that falsetto. Yeah, I can find it. Lovely. Because, like, imagine he is like Tom Thumb.
2: Okay. <laughs> I imagine tiny, he's one tiny. Foot tall. I don't know why. Tiny,
0: tiny Tim, pocket-sized <laughs> Tiny Tim. <laughs>
2: tiny, tiny Tim. Okay, good. God bless us, everyone.
1: <laughs> yes. Most famous. <laughs> Said Tiny
2: Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh, no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Oh, snap. Oh, call back. What's also
0: just delicious about that is, is that it's like, I know you and I've been watching you because that's what that says. That's like, I've just used work because like, yeah. he wasn't there when he said that. So that's yeah. like, yeah, like, like mm-hmm. raised eyebrows. The lot. He sees you when you're sleeping. It's <laughs> a <of> Christmas present. <laughs> he knows when
1: you're awake. You're being watched day and night by a sleazy giant.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> In a bathrobe. Yeah. With,
0: with his <laughs> with chest hair them hanging
2: out. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit, and was overcome with penitence and grief. "'Man,' said the ghost, "'if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is, and where it is, will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die?' It may be that, in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh, God. To hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust. I really enjoyed that chat
0: by the the ghost where it was like you need to identify where the surplus is. Because really, the surplus is in Scrooge's pocket. Yeah. Exactly. Because he has loads of money that he is not using that would make a massive difference. That's such
1: a good analogy with the bug on the leaf. Like you feel like you could use that in day-to-day politics almost.
2: Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground. But he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob. I give you Mr Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast indeed, cried Mrs Cratchit, reddening. I wish I
3: had him here and I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and hope he'd have a good appetite for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the only thing she's missing there is, and I hope he chokes. Yeah, <laughs> that's literally all that line's missing. <laughs> right?
2: My dear, said Bob, the children... "'Christmas Day!'
3: "'It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure,' said she, "'on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, "'hard, unfeeling man as Mr Scrooge. "'You know he is, Robert. "'Nobody knows better than you, poor fellow.'
2: "'My dear,' was Bob's mild answer. "'Christmas Day!' "'I'll drink his hell for your sake in the days,' said Mrs
3: Cratchit. "'Not for his. Long life to him.' A merry Christmas and an happy new year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt.
2: The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heartiness in it. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care tuppence for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, Which was not dispelled for full five minutes After it had passed away They were ten times merrier than before From the mere relief of Scrooge the baleful being done with
0: Uh, Probably because they've been hitting the (laughs) gin
2: They've had a couple of cheeky swimmers They've got nothing to do with Scrooge They're all hammered (laughs) They're obsessed with him (laughs) Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for Master Peter which would bring on, if obtained, full five and sixpence weekly. The two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter's being a man of business, and Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars, as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favour when it came into the receipt of that bewildering income.
0: I'm sure when he says between his collars, he means like just because his head sits between the collars. When you I'm imagining like he's got this collar. That, like, is he wearing like a cone of shame? Oh or my god! Is I think. He like... <laughs> I
2: think he's got. I think because he's wearing his dad's shirt, he's just got a bit of a Harry Hill situation. Yeah. Oh. It's yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> he's,
3: it's,
1: a, he's like it, a sick dog to
2: stop him scratching. Yeah. <laughs> I do not like the cone of shame. <laughs> Martha, who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's, then told them what kind of work she had to do, and how many hours she worked at a stretch, and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest, tomorrow being a holiday she passed at home. Also, how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before, and how the lord was much about as tall as Peter, at which Peter pulled up his collars so high That you couldn't have seen his head if it had been there
1: <laughs> <laughs> His collars are huge Is it like a 70s collar?
0: Like, like
1: um, yeah, John yeah, Travolta but, and Saturday Night very, Fever? But
2: very stiff, very stiff so Some
0: of the gentlemen did have those high high ones, mm-hmm. didn't they? With the cravat But I yeah, mean like loads of starch We're talking in like four inches Not like The way he's describing it <laughs> Makes it sound like it's a 12 inch collar
2: At this time the chestnuts and the jug went round and around and by and by they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow from Tiny Tim who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family. They were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded, and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. By this time it was getting dark, and snowing pretty heavily, And as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlours and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here, the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cosy dinner, with hot plates baking through and through before the fire, and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. There all the children of the house came running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, and be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blinds of guests assembling, and there a group of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted, and all chattering at once, tripped lightly off to some near neighbour's house where, woe upon the single man who saw them enter, artful witches while they knew it in a glow. But if you had judged from the numbers of people on their way to friendly gatherings, you might have thought that no one was at home to give them welcome when they got there, instead of every house expecting company and piling up its fires half chimney high. Blessings on it, how the ghost exulted, how it bared its breadth of breast, and upon its capacious palm, and floated on, outpouring with a generous hand, its bright and harmless mirth on everything within its reach. The very lamplighter, who ran on before, dotting the dusky street with specks of light, and who was dressed to spend the evening somewhere, laughed out loudly as the spirit passed, though little kenned the lamplighter that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, They stood upon a bleak and desert moor where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about as though it were the burial place of giants and water spread itself wheresoever it listed or would have done so but for the frost that held it prisoner and nothing grew but moss and firs and coarse rank grass. Down in the west the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red which glared upon the desolation for an instant, like a sullen eye, and frowning lower, lower, lower yet, was lost in the thick gloom of darkest night. "'What is this place?' asked Scrooge. "'A place where miners live, who labour in the bowels of the earth,' returned the spirit. "'But they know me. See?' A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company, assembled round a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman, with their children and their children's children, and another generation beyond that, all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man, in a voice that seldom rose above the howling song of the wind upon the barren waste, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in the chorus. So surely, as they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and loud, and so surely as they stopped, his vigour sank again. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe, and passing on above the moor, sped whither? Not to see to see. To Scrooge's horror, looking back, he saw the last of the land, a frightful range of rocks behind them, and his ears were deafened by the thundering of water as it rolled and roared and raged among the dreadful caverns it had worn and fiercely tried to undermine the earth. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks... Some league or so from the shore, on which the waters chaffed and dashed the wild deer through, there stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base, and storm birds, born of the wind one might suppose, as seaweed of the water, rose and fell about it like the waves they skimmed. But even here, two men who watched the light had made a fire that through the loophole in the thick stone wall shed out a ray of brightness on the awful sea. Joining their horny hands over the rough table at which they sat, they wished each other Merry Christmas in their can of grog, and one of them, the elder too, with his face all damaged and scarred with hard weather, as the figurehead of an old ship might be, struck up a sturdy song that was like a gale in itself. Again the ghost sped on, Above the black and heaving sea, on, on, until, being far away, as he told Scrooge, from any shore, they lighted on a ship. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel, the lookout in the bow, the officers who had the watch, dark, ghostly figures in their several stations, but every man among them hummed a Christmas tune, or had a Christmas thought or spoke below his breath to his companion of some bygone Christmas day, with homeward hopes belonging to it, and every man on board, waking or sleeping, good or bad, had had a kinder word for one another on that day than on any other day in the year, and had shared to some extent in its festivities, and had remembered those who cared for at a distance, and had known that they delighted to remember him it was a great surprise to scrooge while listening to the moaning of the wind and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness over an unknown abyss whose depths were secrets as profound as death it was a great surprise to scrooge while thus engaged to hear a hearty laugh it was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognise it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing smiling by his side and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. <laughs> 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 If you should happen by any unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. Well, they obviously haven't met Matthew Gonzalez, have they? Because his Whoa, laugh is to die oh for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, Jimmy Carr. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Or Cleveland <Right> Brown. ha. <laughs> <laughs> <And> Peter. <laughs> or
3: Janice.): <laughs> 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 Bet
1: these are all Charles Dickens didn't know these people.
0: No, no it's yeah. true. We've
2: got to give him that. Yeah. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things that while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor.
0: I mean, that's quite appropriate right now, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a world that's, of
0: infectiousness and disease.
2: That's a quote. I like that as a quote.
0: Nothing as contagious as laughter, <laughs> apart from COVID.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he and their assembled friends being not a bit behindhand, roared out lustily. <laughs> it
0: sounds like the laughing man at Blackpool. Oh, that was my favourite thing ever.
2: He said that Christmas was a humbug as I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. He believed it too. And then um, Fred's wife. Can speak. we have a fun one? Not that they haven't
1: been yeah. fun. Can we can we, we
2: sort of these boring choices?
1: Could you um, make her speak a little bit more family?
0: Yeah, no, no there's a horse. <laughs> yes.
1: So, oh, so I uh, yeah, sort of bit, bit almost queeny. The, the actual queen. I don't mean you know someone in Soho.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't be like slay, Queen.
1: <laughs> <slay." laughs>
2: the the assumption that the posher you get, the more you look and sound like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: Could I add something else in? Actually, sorry. Okay. So you know in Miranda, yeah. her mum's always like, This season's laugh is oh, Face that... by Lady Gaga. Yeah. Could we do She Laughs in Deck the Halls
2: with Bows of Holly? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Or laughs> <laughs> <laughs> i just do that bit. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. I'll just channel my inner Patricia Hodge. Yes. "'More shame for him, Fred!' (laughs) said Scrooge's niece indignantly. "'Bless those women. They never do anything by halves. They are always in earnest.' She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed. As no doubt it was All kinds of good little dots about her chin That melted into one another when she laughed And the sunniest pair of eyes That you ever saw in any little creature's head Altogether, she was what you would have called Provoking, you know? But satisfactory too Oh, perfectly satisfactory Satisfactory does not
0: have the same ring to it I don't think it does, no No. It's like, oh mate, that girl is (laughs) satisfactory <laughs> like what? If we, is it because surveys have
1: like taught us to believe that It's a three out of five. That's the middle, isn't it? Satisfactory. Were you satisfied with your
2: service? He, he's a comical old fellow," said Scrooge's nephew. That, "That's the truth, and not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offences carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I, I'm sure he is very rich, Fred." <laughs> <laughs> Hinted Scrooge's niece At least you always tell me so (laughs) (laughs) What of that, my dear? Said Scrooge's nephew His wealth is of no use to him He don't do any good with it He don't make himself comfortable
3: with it Uh, He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking (laughs) He is never going to benefit us with it
2: "'I have no patience with him,' observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece's sisters and all other ladies expressed the same opinion. "'Oh, I have,' said Scrooge's nephew. "'I I am sorry for him, uh, and I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. "'Who suffers by his ill whims? "'Himself, always. "'Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, "'and he won't come to dine with us.' What's the consequence? He don't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner. (laughs) Interrupted Scrooge's niece. Everybody else said the same, and they must have been allowed to have been competent judges because they had just had dinner and, with the dessert upon the table, were clustered around the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew. Because I haven't any great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Topper had clearly got his eye upon one of Scrooge's niece's sisters, for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject. Whereat Scrooge's niece's sister, the plump one with the lace tucker, not the one with the roses, blushed. The plump one. The plump one. Could you imagine? Yeah. They're the the fat one, not the one with the roses. That's terrible.
0: (laughs) I know. Give them names. We can't see them. So just say, her sister blushed. Yeah. I don't need to know that she's the chubby sister.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. You've over described there, Dickens. Do go on, Fred, (laughs) (laughs) said Scrooge's niece, clapping her hands. He never finishes what he begins to say. Such a ridiculous fellow. (laughs) (laughs) The faces. (laughs) The faces are awful. You're getting getting quite hoarse. You say you know. Yes, I am. I I sort of have to, otherwise it doesn't work for me. Scrooge's nephew revelled in another laugh, and as it was impossible to keep the infection off, though the plump sister tried hard to do it with aromatic vinegar, his example was unanimously followed. "'I was only going to say,' said Scrooge's nephew, "'that the consequence of his taking to dislike us and not making merry with us is, as I think, "'that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm.' I'm sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his mouldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, I, I, I pity for him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him. If he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you?, if it only puts him in the vein to leave the poor cock fifty pounds, that, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. It was their turn to laugh now at the notion of his shaking Scrooge, but being thoroughly good-natured and not much caring what they laughed at, so they laughed at any rate, he encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea they had some music for they were a musical family and knew what they were about when they sung a glee or catch, I can assure you, especially Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins in his forehead or get red in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well upon the harp and played, among other tunes, a simple little air, a mere nothing you might learn to whistle in two minutes which had been familiar to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school, as he had been reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When this strain of music sounded, all the things that ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more, and thought that if he could have listened to it often, years ago, he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness with his own hands, without resorting to the sexton spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while they played at forfeits, for it is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. Stop! There was first a game of blind man's buff, of course there was. And I no more believe Topper was really a blind man Than I believe he had eyes in his boots My opinion is that it was a done thing Between him and Scrooge's nephew And that the ghosts of Christmas Present knew it The way he went after that plump sister in the lace tucker Was an outrage on the credulity of human nature (laughs)
0: Uh,
2: Talking of exaggerating
0: He's like, oh no, oh no, I'm blind Oh, oh no, oh no Shocker I don't know what I'm grabbing (laughs)
2: "'knocking down the fire irons, tumbling over the chairs, "'bumping up against the piano, smothering himself against the curtains. "'Wherever she went, there went he. "'He always knew where the plump sister was. (laughs) "'He wouldn't catch anybody else. "'If you had fallen up against him, as some of them did, on purpose, "'he would have made a feint of endeavouring to seize you, "'which would have been an affront to your understanding "'and would instantly have sidled off in the direction of the plump sister.' She often cried out that it wasn't fair, and it really was not. But when at last he caught her, when, in spite of all of her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, he got her into a corner whence there was no escape, then his conduct was the most execrable. For his pretending not to know her, his pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress and further to assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck was vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him her opinion of it when another blind man being in office, they were so very confidential together behind the curtains. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what she was doing, actually.
0: No, no. <laughs> At least, at least, I'm um, I'm just happy though because of the way that he's been behaving that she's actually receptive to it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. At least it's like because I was w- worried that she was g- like, "Dude, just leave me alone!" Like I'm trying to get away. From scene you. turns and ugly. then he yeah. corners her. Yeah,
2: secretly she's loving it. It's fine.
0: Yeah, no, that's fine. As long as as long as she's up for being the chaste, then that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Scrooge's niece was not one of the blind man's buff party but was made comfortable with a large chair and a footstool in a snug corner where the ghost and Scrooge were close behind her. But she joined in the forfeits and loved her love to admiration with all the letters of the alphabet. Likewise, at the game of how, when and where, she was very great and to the secret joy of Scrooge's nephew beat her sister's hollow, though they were sharp girls too, as Topper could have told you. There might have been twenty people there, young and old, but they all played, and so did Scrooge. For wholly forgetting, in the interest he had in what was going on, that his voice made no sound in their ears, he sometimes came out with his guess out loud, and very often guessed right too, for the sharpest needle. Best Whitechapel, warranted not to cut in the eye, was not sharper than Scrooge, blunt as he took it in his head to be.
0: In this instance... Scrooge is living his best introvert's life where you get to be part of the party, but have no expectations on you to join (laughs) it. But maybe this is the ghost's ploy. It's kind of like, he obviously doesn't want to go because it could be because of the obligation or the other guests interacting with him and him finding them annoying. But this is a way of him kind of being introduced to the party and understanding what happens and actually what he's missing out on without the threat of someone jumping on you, do you know what I mean? Or, or, or asking you a question that's awkward or yeah. making a comment that's <clears throat> awkward. It's kind of that thing of being able to just be a fly on the wall and be like, oh, actually, no, I, I would actually enjoy going to this. The world's weirdest superpower. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can find out if I'm going to like this party or not, man. <laughs> I won't save anyone else's day, but I'll give myself a slightly more comfortable experience. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> The ghost was greatly pleased to find him in this mood, and looked upon him with such favour that he begged like a boy to be allowed to stay until the guests departed. But this, the spirit said, could not be done. Here is a new game, said Scrooge. One half hour, spirit, only one. It was a game called Yes and No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the rest must find out what he only answering to the questions yes or no, as the case was. The brisk fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal A live animal, rather a disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes and talked sometimes and lived in London and walked about the streets and wasn't made a show of and wasn't led by anybody and didn't live in a menagerie and was never killed in a market and was not a horse or an ass or a cow or a bull or a tiger or a dog or a pig or a cat or a bear. At Every fresh question that was put to him, this nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter and was so inexpressibly tickled that he was obliged to get up off the sofa and stamp. At last, the plump sister, falling into a similar state, cried out. Oh, the plump sister hasn't spoken yet. Oh, could you just make a Scottish? We haven't had a Scottish woman yet,
0: have
3: we?
2: Yeah, OK. A nice sort of homely Scottish woman, shall we? At last, the plump sister, falling into a similar state, cried out,
3: I found it out! I know what it is, Fred! I know what it is!
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good line for yeah. a Scottish
2: voice, Yay. Song, yeah. W-
3: w- what is it?
2: cried Fred.
3: It's your Uncle Scrooge!
0: The best name to say in a Scottish accent (laughs) Scrooge (laughs) That's going to be my new Christmas chant whenever I see anyone
2: Scrooge Which it certainly was Admiration was the universal sentiment Though some objected that the reply to Is it a bear ought to have been yes Inasmuch (laughs) as an answer in the negative Was sufficient to have diverted their thoughts from Mr Scrooge Supposing they had ever had any tendency that way
0: And suddenly Scrooge is like I don't like this party anymore, let's go
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, He has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure said fred and it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health here's a glass of mulled wine ready to our hand at the moment and i say uncle scrooge well Well, uncle Uncle scrooge
4: Scrooge.
2: (laughs) (laughs) they cried a merry christmas and a happy new year to the old man whatever he is Said Scrooge's nephew. He wouldn't take it from me, but he may have it none the less. Uncle Scrooge! Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return, and thanked them in an inaudible speech, if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last word spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels much they saw and far they went and many homes they visited but always with a happy end the spirit stood beside sick beds and they were cheerful on foreign lands and they were close at home by struggling men and they were patient in their greater hope by poverty and it was rich in almshouse hospital and jail in miseries every refuge "'Where vain men in his little brief authority "'had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, "'he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. "'It was a long night, if it were only a night, "'but Scrooge had his doubts of this "'because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed "'into the space of time they passed together. "'It was strange, too, "'that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form,' The ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it, until they left a children's twelfth night party. When looking at the spirit, they stood together in an open place. He noticed that its hair was grey. My life upon this globe is very brief, replied the ghost. It ends tonight. Tonight, cried Scrooge. Tonight at midnight. Hark! The time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing the three-quarters past eleven at that moment. Forgive me if I'm not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe. But I see something strange, and not belonging to yourself, protruding from your skirts. Is it a a foot? (laughs) Or a claw? (laughs) It might be a claw, for the flesh there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here.
1: It's got a hole in his boxes.
2: (laughs) Don't, don't. From the foldings of its robe, it brought two children. Wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. "'Oh, man, look here! Look! Look down here!' exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and girl. Yellow, meagre, ragged, scowling, wolfish. But prostrate, too, in their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand, like that of age, had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out, menacing. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade, though all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back, appalled having shown them to him in his way he tried to say they were fine children but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude spirit are they yours scrooge could say no more they are man's said the spirit looking down upon them and they cling to me appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware of them both, in all of their degree. But most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out his hand toward the city. "'Slander those who tell it ye. "'Admit it for your factious purposes and make it worse, "'and bide the end.' "'Have they no refuge or resource?' cried Scrooge. "'Are there no prisons?' said the spirit, "'turning on him for the last time with his own words. "'Are there no workhouses?' "'The bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. End of stave.
0: Oh! Ooh, a very ominous ending there leading into the next, yeah. I really enjoyed that chapter though. I think what's quite funny is is that Scrooge obviously being able to observe the present without people knowing he's observing them. He's really learned who his friends are here. And what's interesting is is that it's the two people who are closest to him who end up having to put up with his nonsense the most are the ones who are defending him. Yeah. Yeah, And that's kind of what's quite funny it it does show you that often like you know the people that you can sometimes treat the worst are, are often the people that you actually rely on the most, and you you really have to be you know aware of that
1: well if they were if they were nothing but defamatory against them we'd be less likely to um lighten up and want to
0: repent, i suppose mm. But well, that's almost like, what makes it worse because it's like I treat you with such disdain, and yet he, you are yeah. defending me in front of a room of partygoers or to my wife who thinks that you're the, a tyrant. Do you know what I mean? It's like both Bob and Fred have yeah. just always got his back, despite the fact that he's awful to them.
2: Yeah. And and it's it's kind of those kind of characters that end up sort of touching your heart the most. They're mm. like, gosh. They're, you, you see, we've seen firsthand just how, how Scrooge has treated them. And the fact that they are so gracious in, in the face of that just yeah. makes them all the more likable.
1: So the bit the bit where I got lost so you guys can enlighten me, because mm. everything else made a lot of sense. The sort of transition when they're going between the two places and they're going across the seas and they're into those like mines. Are they showing different Christmases and completely vile places? Yeah, that's what I thought. And that's what I had it as. Because it goes so, it goes so almost like cryptic in its sort of, you know, time shifting. He's so good at like having that passage of flying through these places Mm. almost Mm -hmm. at like a light speed of light that you're almost just getting snapshots of places.
2: Yeah, I Um, think it's the idea that no matter how. How uh, bleak the 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 environment that that this joy at this time of year can be found everywhere, and it's funny. Obviously, he goes to the familiar places for obvious reasons, but great that he mentions, you know. Even if we go to rock in the middle of the sea, where people are on, you know, lighthouse duty. Even if we go to a jail. Even if we go to all these, you know, really destitute places. Um, this is what that everyone has in common. And I think that's something that is that that journey is is missed out of most adaptations. I think they just kind of do they do the Cratchits and they do Fred's house, and then we don't tend to always get that that journey.
1: Essentially, the, the Ghost Christmas Present wants Scrooge to get FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> is the best way yeah, I could yeah, describe yeah. it. No, it's going like, see, you know, you've got to look at, look at these guys. You you are missing out. You are just yeah, missing these out. These are people in
0: your immediate vicinity who you could join with on Christmas and instead you choose to be alone.
1: And you're lucky enough that they would still welcome you with open yes. arms.
0: Despite the fact that you are a horrible person. One of the things that's really hitting home with this whole book is how bang up to date it is. Like the, it was <laughs> written so long ago but there are so many themes that are so poignant for us today. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, the whole thing with Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas present aging. And for me, what I kind of got from that was the present is fleeting. The present is now and you have to live in the present. He is the epitome of Carpe Diem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things, and it's like how much more we we definitely need that message today because the amount of people who just don't live in the present because they're too busy on their phones or they're too busy playing games or no, but Jimmy, but on Christmas Day, yeah, and it's like the things that you will miss when you are older on Christmas Day are the loved ones who are no longer with you. Or yeah. the families, you know, like it's not going to be the Christmas that you spent on your phone that you're going to miss. Do you know I mean, it's like, that's yeah. not we You're going to miss Nan. You're going to miss. And it's like, that's the message for me in terms of Christmas present getting older. It's like, you have to enjoy the present while you have it because you don't know when it's going to be gone. If I pull up spark notes for this chapter, the scene of Bob Cratchit's. An assuming little abode is pivotal to the development of the novella. Dickens uses the opportunity to put forth a poignant criticism of the unfeeling members of a disconnected upper class and to present a highly sentimentalised portrait of the lower classes. This picture is designed to address and undermine Victorian class prejudice and awaken Dickens's readers to the harsh realities of poverty. In 1843, when A Christmas Carol was written, England had particularly stringent laws in governing the payment of debts. These draconian rules forced many poor people into prisons and provisional workhouses. At the same time, many prominent politicians and theorists were attempting to justify these conditions with arguments designed to delegitimize the rights of the underclass, a move that further hindered the ability of the poor to affect the governing of their own society." Now, I think the reason why Dickens wanted to highlight this is because he was also a victim of this system where his dad was taken to prison because of unpaid debts and he ended up in a workhouse.
1: He had to work off his debt, didn't he? Yeah,
0: he had to work in a in a blackening factory. Yeah. And dying. so oh. it's like he, he was someone who was a member of society who then fell into these conditions but then kind of came out better for it because he understood the... Full extent of what poverty in London and in England at this time actually looked like. His eyes had been opened to it, mm. and I think that's why so many of his books focus on poverty. If you look at Oliver Twist and other things, they they all focus on this kind of the workhouse and how bad, or the orphanage and how bad these institutions are for caring for the people they're meant to look after. They're hymns to the classist system, yeah,
1: definitely. Mm. I guess we just need to recommend everybody watch it. But the man who invented Christmas, they draw that parallel intently. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that is the sole reason he wrote it and Scrooge is the sort of epitome of the people that would, you know, um, besmirch someone with going to prison just because they owe a a baker,
0: which is actually, I think think that's who he owed money to, which is nuts. Mm. (laughs) This bit is very striking, actually. Dickens was particularly disgusted with the writings of an economist named Thomas Robert Malthus, a wealthy man who argued in his essay on the principle of population that population growth would always outpace food supply, resulting in unavoidable and catastrophic poverty and starvation. His research was thrown out. It's been debunked. In his pamphlet, The Crisis, Malthus supported the poor laws and the workhouses, arguing that any man unable to sustain himself had no right to live, much less participate in the development of society. Dickens alludes to Malthus in Stave 1 when Scrooge echoes the economist's view of overpopulation in his Rebuke of the Portly Gentleman. The Cratchits are Dickens' defence against this large-scale, purely economic, almost inhuman mode of thought, a reminder that England's poor are all individuals, living beings with families and lives who could not and should not be swept behind a math equation like some numerical discrepancy. Wow. And I just feel like with today's society with statistics on COVID and statistics on illegal immigrants, and statistics of poverty, it's so easy to dehumanise those because it's out of sight, out of mind. It's very easy to have a very draconian, horrible, awful view of these people and to criminalise these people when you don't have to see them. Mm -hmm. And that's what's great about this book because you visit the houses of these people and you humanize them, and you see them as families, as humans, as people, and suddenly it becomes very difficult to hold these kinds of opinions against them. Well, they always say that of politicians these
1: days. It's like, do you actually go and visit the people for who your policies will mm-hmm. affect? Yeah. Exactly, and because if you, if you're, they call it the ivory towers and all that sort of thing. Yes. It's like, but it is. It's really true. You know, if you actually go into these, te- like, I I don't know how much Margaret Thatcher went into these mining mm. towns and actually saw it from the other perspective. Her yeah she had no doubt upon the decisions she was making.
3: Mm-hmm. Um
1: were absolutely right because it made sense and it, it the, on the balance sheet it looked amazing. But I doubt mm-hmm. she actually went to his place and goes, "Aha, uh-huh, but yeah, but look at the state of Poverty. the family."
0: Yeah. Yeah. They they can't eat. But again, it's another message where it's like this is this is a problem that affected Dickens society all the way back then and it's one that still affects one today. This this very kind of numerical statistical way of classing people or talking about people and even more so on social media it's very easy to shout and argue and criticize and demean and insult people over social media where you don't have to see them all you see is a little name and a little photo an egg you don't have to stare that person (laughs) in the eyes as you completely tear them apart it's very easy to kind of to, to disassociate and just to kind of detach yourself and I think one of the main things that Dickens is trying to say particularly during this Christmas season and what something that we can learn today is to not do that to actually kind of look for the human behind the name look for the human behind the statistic and at this time this festive time this time for joy this time for goodwill to all men to make the effort to reach out And actually display some kind of human kindness towards that person.
2: Go on, Matt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) (gasps) So that's the challenge this week, listeners. Okay. That's the challenge. I'm
1: going to spread goodwill everywhere.
0: Yes. Be the ghost of Christmas present and sit on turkeys and start handing them out to people. (laughs) (laughs) And And get thrown out of Waitrose. Yes. yeah exactly that <laughs> what
1: are you doing in that uh, get out you, have, you <laughs> just rolling <laughs> around in the freezer So <laughs> you now
0: have to buy one of those <laughs> so if you have any thoughts or opinions on this chapter you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com or if you want to spread some festive
1: cheer with us on twitter our handle is at lazybookclubpod
2: and it's exactly the same on our instagram at lazybookclubpod We hope
0: you enjoyed stave three. Please do stick with us for stave four, where I think this is going to take a slight dark turn now. This is where consequences and karma, if you believe in it, kind of start to rear their ugly head. And Scrooge starts to find out what will happen if he doesn't change his future.
2: Yeah, so let's find what out what behavior. that what that ominous phantom in the mist is
0: really all about. Mm, looking forward to it. We'll see you then. Goodbye.
2: Bye.
3: Bye.